<laughs> I was just going to say that we this podcast is going to be airing kind of around the exact same time that these were airing, these episodes were airing 45 years ago. That's crazy. Isn't it crazy? What a I didn't crazy think about it being 45 years, but well, yeah. of course it is. But like January 30th is when the Hardy Boys episode came out and mm-hmm. uh, February 6th is when the Nancy Drew episode came out. That was episodes one and two. So yep. like literally we're going to like land like right smack dab in the middle of that. That's so exciting. Isn't it? We could not plan that better. I don't, I, we are just like so blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed in the topics that we pick. I swear. Yeah. going to come out on the fourth. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, how cool. I didn't I really couldn't have found it better. Okay. <laughs> anyway, hello, regular Drews. Hello. Welcome to episode number 25. This is a special episode, a super, super special episode, because we are going to be talking about the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew. Is it called Mysteries? The Hardy Boys Nancy Drew. Yeah, the Hardy Boys Nancy Drew Mysteries. Episodes one and two of mm-hmm. the 1970s classic TV show. Yes. And let me tell you, it's amazing. It's so good, Corey. It's so good. Y'all, I like normally I I struggle with older TV shows. I'm not going to lie. Mm. I'm not someone who like can get into like the Brady Bunch or anything like that. I just it's just a little too antiquated for me and not entertaining. Sure. Right. Like jokes fall flat and stuff. These are legit mm-hmm. good. Sh- this is a legit good show. It's legit oh, yeah. good episodes of television. Uh, maybe I'm biased because I'm just obsessed with Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, but I was so entertained. I, yeah, no, they've held up really well. I could not tear my eyes from the screen. So I a hundred percent recommend, honestly, I recommend that before you even listen to this episode, you go and watch these so that you're not spoiled yes. because there will be spoilers. <laughs> this is a spoilerific podcast. Mm-hmm, of course and also i'm just gonna little, give a little hint whisper to y'all about this they're all on youtube for free yes so rush right over pause this go watch that and then come back because they're so good <laughs> Wow, well, aren't you a regular nancy drew we sure hope so and we hope you are too Join us as we talk Nancy Drew cover to cover and click to click. Welcome to regular Nancy Drew. And this was your first time watching these as well, right? Okay. Awesome. I I cannot believe I'd never seen these before because all I want to do now is sit down and watch all three seasons. Oh, I'm so I'm so excited to talk about the all with these. These are crazy shows, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. They certainly capture the like what the heck is going on quality of some of the Nancy Drew books, which is what makes them so great. You know? Mm-hmm. It's like this is wild, but like in the best, the best way. Yes. I will say all of these are original mysteries. No specific episode is supposed to be particularly based on any given book, but in my opinion, it's a really faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. It's really, it, it feels just like the Nancy Drew books with one glaring omission yes. by the name of Bess Marvin, but oh. we'll get there. <laughs> oh God, yes. We but otherwise, it's it's really great. Fashion is wonderful. Oh, so Nancy's good. hair is just 
to die for. The jokes are so bad they're good. It, I love it's it. Amazing. <laughs> it's truly amazing. God, okay, we yeah. do have to talk about the fashion. I don't know if you want to talk about this right now off the bat, but it is like Dark burning in my brain <laughs> because Frank Hardy. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> In the first episode, he wears a turtleneck under a button-down shirt under a blazer, like a brown yes. blazer. Yes. It's the <laughs> most amazing chef's kiss, iconic mm -hmm. 70s outfit. And Nancy's style throughout the second episode is so freaking good. Like, okay. she is a styling girl. Her raincoat. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and the, the, at one point she wears like this cute little hat. I'm like, stop. Oh like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Stop it. The little scarves. Yes. The time. Oh my God. Yes. Oh, so, I mean, you know, just watch it for the seventies fashion alone. Mm -hmm. Honestly, honestly. I think there was even one outfit that I was like, is that a, um, kind of tribute to Daphne Blake from Scooby-Doo? Yes. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> the purple That's with what, the, the green scarf. I was watching this episode last night with Lance and he was like, she looks like this. She, he, well, he, he was like, one, this show is just like Scooby-Doo. And I was like, you're mm -hmm. right. Yeah. It is. That's why I love it oh, so much. Yes. <laughs> it's just like Scooby-Doo. And then we're like, wow, she actually looks like Daphne. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Nancy is, it's intentional. is Daphne and Fred combined into one. Mm -hmm. Nancy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because she makes the plan, she executes the plan, and she's also the beautiful, beautiful lady. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's gonna be really hard, but three words. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> um, wild. I don't know. <laughs> wild. Yes. <laughs> wild seventies. Weird locations. Is that a yeah? Like weird places, strange mm -hmm. places. Strange places, strange faces, great fashion. That's what I'm yes. going to call it. <laughs> that applies to both episodes. It sure well, does. Sure does. Oh. Well, do you want to talk about the structure of the show a little bit before we really get into plot? Sure. So I will say that this show originally aired, um, the first episode came out on January 30th, 1977. The second episode we're going to be talking about, I think is, you said February 6th, February 6th right? Yeah. Yeah, um, they were they aired on ABC originally at the 7 p.m. on Sunday time slot, little 45 minute show. So, you know, hour long time slot, but 45 minutes without commercials in it. And um, there were three seasons of this show. The first season, they kind of alternated Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys. So obviously, first episode is Hardy Boys. Second episode is Nancy. Third is Hardy Boys and so on. But then the second season, they did do some Nancy Drew Hardy Boys crossovers. Oh, so there was a yes! lot of episodes with both of them in it. I know I was a little disappointed they didn't do that in this episode or in this season. But yeah, so I think that there are a few solo Nancy Drew episodes, quite a few solo Hardy Boys episodes in the second season. But um, a lot of them were, you know, a crossover episode, which is actually this is the very first instance of Nancy Drew meeting the Hardy Boys in the whole history of Nancy Drew. Wow, what a fun fact. I did not know that. I did not realize that. And I was so mm -hmm. sad because when I started watching it or like when I started looking watching it i didn't realize that they weren't all together in the same in the same show and i was like oh separate episodes yeah but now that i know that it's coming i'm so excited yeah <laughs> so um unfortunately pamela sue martin who plays nancy in the first season and the first half of the second season did leave and we'll talk about I've seen a few different reasons for why, and we'll, we can talk about those, but um, they did replace her with Janet Louise Johnson for, I think it was the last four episodes mm. of season two, and then season three is just Hardy Boys alone. Mm. 
Yeah, interesting. I will say, I think Pamela Sue Martin is just an amazing, an amazing cast for oh, Nancy yes. Drew. I I have never said this before, so here yeah. we go. But like, I I'm usually so picky about who plays Nancy Drew, and I cannot imagine anyone doing a better job than Pamela Sue Martin. She like mm-hmm. embodies. Nancy Drew in like such a way her mannerisms her like just the looks on her face she's mm-hmm. the perfect like combination of subtle and competent and mm-hmm. serious but also playful and a little bit a little bit of I don't know what she's just it's just so good it's just so good yeah. <laughs> um so y'all have to watch it at least for that it's amazing I agree she knocked it out of the park mm-hmm. truly did a great job uh, do we want to talk about the reasons that she left? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you already know one of them if you want to go over that. I mean, I think part of it is that she, this is her breakout role, right? This was her first big, I don't know if it's her very first role, but I do know that this is kind of what launched her into kind of stardom. And I think she felt a little bit confined by the um, innocent quality of Nancy Drew. Um, and so... <laughs> <laughs> she decided to do a Playboy cover. It's Playboy, right? Cover of Playboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know if it was that or Esquire, but um, <laughs> which was quite racy. Um, yes, a Nancy Drew themed Playboy cover. Right. Yes. On top of that, yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously that was very contentious. I don't know if that mm-hmm. was what led the producers to be like, "Hey." you're out of here or if it was more of her saying screw (laughs) y'all i'm out of here you know what i mean um but yeah but that i think that's part of it so i did a little bit of research and this was not her first ever role she had some other previous things but i think this was her first like starring title character role like that and i I don't know if the playboy shoot was at the same time that she was on the show or if it was directly after Mm. but i did see some of the articles that i read quoted some other reasons as well. One of those being that she wasn't um, super happy with all the crossover episodes because it meant she had a much smaller role in those episodes. So even though she was a title character, she was really playing like a supporting character role in those Mm -hmm. episodes um, and didn't really like kind of the demotion from having her own episodes in the first season. Um, And then the third reason that I saw is that they were not paying her as much as they were playing (gasps) the Hardy Boys actors. Oh, right. Oh, Hell I yeah! Understand the the reason. So it was probably a combination of all three reasons. Get your paper that Pamela. led to her leaving. Yeah, get exactly. your paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I, yeah, I think what I, I was saying as far as like the innocence goes is she didn't want to end up like landing into uh, a place where she's only cast as like the Nancy Drew character so she wanted to be able to show her range which is like hey I'm also really fucking hot so don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh yeah oh yeah she's a beautiful lady mm-hmm. i do have some other fun facts here before we go into oh my gosh the, yes the stories, so, if you want. Uh, so this this show was aired at the same time that the mystery stories were still being written number 54 the strange message in the parchment was released the same year as these episodes came out in 1977 so we're at the very tail end of the original mystery stories so probably that's part of the reason why it's such a faithful adaptation. Mm. Um, a few other fun facts here. When the producers were casting Joe, they decided that they really wanted... Uh, did you read this No, as well? but I, I mean, I know who Sean Cassidy is, so I get okay. it. I get it. 
The producers decided that they really wanted a quote unquote young David Cassidy type to play Joe. And then they realized hey, that exists. He hey, has a little brother who just turned 18. He just finished high school. So um, he was the very first person that they auditioned for Joe and gave him the part pretty much straight away from my understanding. Parker Stevenson plays Frank in the show, and he actually, just the year prior, had finished up his degree in, I think, architecture from Princeton. Um, He only started acting as a way to kind of fund his college tuition, and then after he graduated, realized that he actually really enjoyed acting. And um, as far as I know, all three main actors are still acting today. They still have quite a few credits to their name. And uh, most recently, Pamela Sue Martin uh, did a little cameo in the pilot episode of the CW Nancy Drew show in 2019. So, so cool. That is amazing. Cool. Cool that they're all still acting. Too, I, so. I remember my mom had an obsession with the Cassidy brothers. I remember she would always talk oh, about yeah. them because she obviously grew up around this time. And so she would mm-hmm. be like, oh, I remember my tea and heart. <laughs> <laughs> And they were, they were, apparently they, like, mobs of teenage girls would follow them around everywhere to the point where they would have to, like, hide in public (laughs) or, like, have an escape route in every building that they went to because literally, like, thousands of teenage girls were trying to break down doors to get to them. Louise. Wow. Apparently the actress that played Callie a few times had to, like, shoo girls away from them so that they could, like, get out of the building and get to safety. Oh, my gosh. Which is kind of scary and way overboard. Well, definitely. Would, I, not okay behavior, but definitely, yeah. It's definitely. No, but I just... Interesting anecdote. <laughs> it's so weird to me how, how I guess, just like tastes change and like yeah. what we consider attractive. Not that any of these people are unattractive. Of course, they're all very... Right. They have beautiful faces and everything, but they just are not what I would call... They're not what I would be into. You know what I mean? No, I mean, no. like, they're definitely cute. Definitely, cute. That, definitely, but... cute. definitely adorable. But, like, uh... <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of it for me, sorry, this is like very personal. I think a lot of no, it for me is the hair. I just, the 70s male haircuts are not particularly flattering. No. Uh, they're very, like, helmet like and like. The kind mm-hmm. of feathering, I think, that they tried to do. Yeah, so the texture was just so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the texture is just so bad. It just looks like you have a bunch of split ends. And I'm like, this is not not good. The shape yeah. that makes your head look like it's not, not good. But yeah, uh, women's haircuts, on the other hand, I will say, beautiful, perfect. I love a good 70s shag. So, you know, but... Mm. But Frank, Frank, Frank for me is looking a little rough. Joe, definitely cute. He's got the big eyed, innocent. His hair's a little bit shaggier, so it works a little bit better. But yeah. <laughs> Which is honestly just so disappointing because Frank Hardy is like, you know, my fictional character crush. So mm-hmm. come on. Give me, give me something good, y'all. <laughs> but this is, I mean, not to put down the CW show too much, because that's not what we're here to talk about today, but I wish that this were kind of the same concept oh, of what my the God. show would be today. I would have loved that, that, a modern day this, you know. We have to talk about that, too. We were At the end, we're going to have to compare and contrast, because the differences in what they are is extreme mm-hmm. and perfectly illustrates why I hate the CW show so much. <laughs> And why these are so good. So mm-hmm. anyway. I will also say each episode is kind of a standalone mystery. It's not like 
like today's CW show where there's like one bigger mystery throughout the whole season with smaller mysteries scattered throughout. You can just watch one episode and you're not going to miss out on any continuity. No more so than you would with the books, you know, if you were to just read one book. Yeah, that is a great point. And I will say that's probably one of the only things that I would wish for this TV show is because I do love a good whole season arc of a mystery Mm -hmm. because it gives you something to chew on for longer than, you know, an hour of your day. Um, But, but yeah, but overall, I think that just wasn't really the style yet back in the seventies. They wanted standalone episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they could reach a better audience with, with not having that. You don't have to have like faithful viewers, which I guess is probably part of the difference in how we watch and consume television these days versus then, because then you had to be at the same place at the same, in your living room at the exact same time every week, which is just right. not really feesible for everybody. So um, whereas now, obviously we can stream whatever we want to, whenever we want. To. True. <laughs> like with this, I binged six episodes this week. So. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Okay. Even like, you know how the books will end each chapter on like the cliffhanger? Mm-hmm. They did that with the commercial breaks. Yeah. They'll leave like the dangerous moment or the commercial break. It just feels so, yeah. so good. Yeah. So close to the books. Classic. Love it. But... Okay. Enough of me rambling. We have to talk about the intro. We have got yes. oh, to talk gosh. about the amazingness that is the intro. I love it. I love it so much. So first of all, it starts <laughs> off like a freaking movie. It's like the universal dun 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 dun. And like, I'm like, wait, did I click on the wrong thing? No, that's how they introduced every single episode of television. And I'm like, thank God we finally get like something that treats it as the true masterpiece that it is. Yes, yes. But, but okay, but then the intro is like this pan over what looks like a hedge maze, except that it doesn't appear to have an exit, it's just like one entrance. Just a maze. maze. And then, (laughs) and then, maybe I don't even know how to describe what happens. The Hardy Boys just like run on and they just like run back and forth across the screen. And then in the background, we have flashes of book covers in like the series, different colors of like different overlay colors, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful. It's honestly very cool. And then Nancy runs on. And runs off and runs on and runs off with flashes of different Nancy Drew covers in different colors. It is Mm -hmm. so good. So good. Slightly funny because they're just like running on to a little set and then running off the little set like they're going to do something. But you literally see them run on and then run off. So funny. But overall, like just honestly, just great. Just great. I know. Oh, I loved it. It It is. All right, well, are we ready to get in the summer? Oh, hell yes, let's do it. Okay, okay. okay, I'm going to try to go over the Hardy Boys a little bit more quickly since this is not a Hardy Boys podcast. <laughs> it should be, though. Maybe honestly. it should be, but we haven't we haven't made that shift yet. It's not regular Hardy Boys. This is regular Nancy Drew. So I'm going to try to go over this one quickly, and then maybe we can talk about it, and then I'll go over Nancy Drew one more in depth, and we can talk about that one. Okay. Do you want to just take the whole sure, summary? Sure, sure, sure. I'll do that my works. best. Okay, thank you. I'll do my best because I just realized I have three pages of it. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. 
Okay, so the Hardy Boys starts off with the Hardy Boys basically following their father because he is supposed to be on this fishing trip, but he left his fishing gear behind. So they're like, what the heck is Fenton Hardy doing? They follow him around. <laughs> they realize that he's being followed by someone else. And so they're like, well, we definitely have to follow them now because, you know, our dad could be in trouble. He ends up going to a graveyard and looks at a, a specific grave for this guy named Will Bronson. But the Hardy Boys see this, they leave, um, and they come back to their dad's office to call him, try to get in touch with him, to tell him he's being followed. We do meet, I have to say, we meet Callie. So Callie works at <laughs> their office, I guess, as their father's assistant, I think. Something like that. Yeah. Some kind of role like that. Um, so they call Fenton at the hotel that they had followed him to before, but he checked out an hour ago. So he's not there. And they can't get in touch mm. with him. Um, we kind of flash to Fenton and he is being chased, or I guess he's driven off the road by these two cars and two guys come out and they essentially kidnap him. Though they just kind of ask him to get into the car and he does. I like how you phrased it, gently kidnap. <laughs> they didn't touch him. They did not lay a finger on Fenton. Um, he's just like, sure, I'll get in the car. <laughs> Whatever. But they take him to this warehouse um, and they ask him like why he went to this guy's Bronson's grave and what it has to do with his current case and who hired him. But Fenton, very professionally, is not saying a word. So then we are back at the Hardy home and we see two men outside of the Hardy home. Um, and they are waiting until everybody inside of the house goes to sleep so that they can break into Fenton's office to try to get information about this case. So they break in. And obviously, of course, the Hardy Boys hear this, that someone has, mm -hmm. has broken in. And they come downstairs to investigate. And I'm sorry, but this is too funny to not mention. Frank and Joe go into their dad's office and they just like let themselves be tackled like very slowly <laughs> to the ground. And they don't put up a fight. And the two guys like run off and kind of get away. It's ABC's family hour, <laughs> quote unquote. They can't have any sort of violence. There was not a single punch thrown. And you are not telling me that Joe Hardy is just letting himself being tackled to the ground. It's not possible. Right. Um, but anyway, but so Frank goes off to chase them on his little motorcycle in his underwear, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Best scene in the whole show. That's fine for family hour, but the violence, no. <laughs> to be fair, it's like he's wearing like a tank top and a white tank top and boxer shorts. So mm -hmm. it's not exactly revealing. But oh my God, Frank Hardy in his underwear. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the men get away, but he's stopped by the cops because he's riding on a motorcycle in his underwear. And they're like, what? I'm sorry. What are you doing? <laughs> they escort him back home and Joe tells the cops everything that happened about the break-in and everything. They, based on the fact that they matched fingerprints that were left on the filing cabinet and fingerprints that Joe took from these people's car earlier, they are able to figure out that these were the same people. And they gave the license plate of the car to the cops for an APB. But this is the funniest scene ever because watching the cop talk to Frank and Joe and Frank and Joe are just being so earnest and like, oh, no, no, we have a lab downstairs. And like, I ran the fingerprints or whatever. And the cop's like, it takes a fingerprint specialist. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I am a specialist. And, you know, like <laughs> all that. It's so funny. It's just so it's really good. 
Um, once the cops leave, Frank realizes that Fenton keeps a notebook next to his bed. So he goes to look at that and finds some information that leads them to um, a meeting. Well, it leads to the graveyard. And they realize that that is why their dad went there. But uh, it also denotes a meeting with someone named Sonny at a haunted house at 2 a.m. in Brookdale. So Ooh. they go because, of course, they do. Yes. This is the best part. This, I okay, I said that the Frank Hardy in his underwear was the best part. This is truly the best part. Oh, I love this scene. Because they go into this haunted house that is so classically spooky. There's like a man playing a piano in the foyer, and he like tells him, like, go down the stairs, and the stairs open inside this coffin, and they go down the stairs yes. in the coffin, and it's there's all kinds of ooky spooky stuff. There's like a man's head floating in a crystal ball just like Madame Leota and Haunted Mansion. And there are like all kinds. It's basically like a haunted fun house, like a mirror room. Mm -hmm. There's like suits of armor and skeletons and stuff. And the Hardy Boys are making all kinds of jokes throughout it. It's so good. They're not spooked out at all, of course, because the Hardy Boys would never be scared in this kind of situation. They're not. They're just cracking jokes with each other. I have to share my favorite yeah. joke from any of the episodes that I watch. They they go into this funhouse maze or whatever, and Joe goes, "This is amazing," and Frank goes, "No, this is a maze." <laughs> what? Oh, it's so it's so bad. It's Classic. good. I love it. Classic. <laughs> But so eventually they make it through this haunted house, and I guess in this basement is like this restaurant slash party. It's very confusing. (laughs) I don't understand what kind of setup this is. I wish this existed in real life because if there was a haunted house that ended in like a restaurant slash dance club, I would lose my mind. I'd be there every freaking night. You know what I mean? It kind of even felt like speakeasy Mm. vibe almost. Mm -hmm. But I mean, obviously not like 1920s theme haunted house theme. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's so random. Like a secret, like a secret place that people go to hang out. Mm -hmm. So cool. Oh, Frank orders a cheeseburger in the restaurant. Cheeseburger. He orders orders cheeseburgers. (laughs) If you're a fan of the game, you know how much Joe Hardy loves his cheeseburgers. I think I've never read the Hardy Boys books, but I think that's got to be a carryover from the books. I hope so. It's got to be. But so they're just sitting in the restaurant and they're looking for this person named Sonny. And somehow, which they've never seen before in their life. And this is the biggest plot hole in this episode. They see a man in a werewolf costume. And they're like, there he is. There's Sonny. It's like, wait, I'm sorry. How did you know that this man dressed up as a werewolf is the man that you're looking for? But anyway, so they it is Sonny. So they go after him. And he like they're like in the parking lot now and he's hiding behind the car and he jumps out and he wrestles frank to the ground and frank's like whoa whoa no 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 we're just here to help you you know i'm fenton's son um and he goes like you're fenton's son whatever um and and frank kind of explains the situation that their dad's kind of missing and all this stuff and as soon as he knows that as soon as he realizes sonny realizes that their dad's missing he kind of freaks out and he's like Mm -hmm. oh crap I got to get out of here. He looks and there's like a car. There's like somebody in a car that just drove up. Like that that means something to him. And so like he takes off running. Frank Mm -hmm. follows him and Joe goes back inside to wait for his dad. We flash back to Fenton in the warehouse. (laughs) He's talking to the two men still. And he makes this guess that these men are Navy intelligence, which 
obviously. They are. Who else would I they think be? he notices like some insignia <laughs> on their briefcase or something. And so he's mm-hmm. like, okay, like I know who you are. And they're like, yes, we're looking for the guy who hired you. He was a Navy attache who disappeared for 48 hours and was found wandering mostly nude in sub-zero temperatures and couldn't remember the time that he was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, he escaped the Navy hospital where he was, where he was, but clearly he's remembering something if he gave Fenton the name of the man on the grave. Um, and so they are like trying to find him to, I guess, try to figure out whatever happened in those 48 hours. Um, so Fenton's like, okay, sure. Let me go get him. And I'll bring him to y'all. Okay. But the officers still decide to follow Fenton anyway. And so they all leave. Then we get a call from Aunt Gertie. (laughs) Which, is it Aunt Gertie or Aunt Trudy? I know it's Gertrude. I know it's her name is Gertrude. change it up depending on the adaptation. All right. Same character, but they just give her a different name for some reason. They call her Gertie instead of Trudy. I think Gertie's not... um, current enough for the 2020 show so 2019 when did that premiere Uh, i'm not sure i think 2020 yeah i think i think it was early 2020 but yeah oh oh, we'll have to talk about that too i I love that one (laughs) i can't wait for season two um yes so aunt gertie calls and um she calls apparently they all have car radios so she calls fenton on his car radio uh and she tells him about the boys and that they went to the haunted house in brookdale And he tells them, fine, tell the boys I'm okay, but don't tell them where I'm going, which is the cemetery. (laughs) By the way, I'm going back to the cemetery. Then we flash back to Joe. Joe's at the haunted house, and he can't pay for the cheeseburgers he ordered because Frank has all the cash, and he is currently chasing Sonny. So he's like, um, here, take my watch my wallet. I'll be back to settle up later. (laughs) Then we flash to Frank, and there's men. There's a man chasing Sonny uh, now. Also, another man chasing Sonny now. So he runs back. Sonny runs back into the haunted house to hide. Um, the man comes into the haunted house. And he starts calling for Will. 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 You know, don't worry. We can work this out. Will. Everything's gonna be mm-hmm. okay. Will. So I guess we're assuming now that the man called Sonny is name is also will or maybe that this man is mistaking sunny for someone else mm-hmm. but it's closing time and so the staff don't realize that those two guys just came in and so they shut down everything and lock up frank and joe now get back to the haunted house and break in <laughs> to go after these two men and so everybody's now wandering around inside the haunted house they're all in the mirrored room at this point, And then like, nobody can find each other, even though they can all see each other through the mirrors. It's a very, mm-hmm. it's a very seventies scene. And, chaos. but then the man starts talking to Will slash Sonny and says, he's going to take him back. But like Will and Sonny is obviously confused and upset and doesn't want to go with this man. So the man's like, we can work this out. Don't worry. Um, you know, Everything's going to be okay. But then he picks up a hammer, which I guess because it seems like Will is and Sonny isn't going to go with him. So he's like, I guess I'll threaten him to come with me. Um, but then obviously, and he swings at Will slash Sonny, but he hits a mirror. Oh, and the glass shatters. And so it's, you know, he Who thought he was talking. That would happen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
So Sonny slash Will runs off with Frank and Joe while the man just starts like smashing all of the mirrors for some reason. Uh, Male fragility. I guess so. Um, but um, Frank, Joe, and Will slash Sonny get out and drive away. Um, we flash over to Fenton. He's at the graveyard. A man grabs him. That's all that we see. And then we see Frank and Joe calling Aunt Gertie on the radio from their van. She just like immediately tells them where Fenton is, even yeah. though Fenton told her not to. But she's just like, oh, but the Hardys are like convinced her, right? They're like, mm-hmm. he could be in danger. And she's like, okay, he's at the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> so they start heading to the graveyard and Will slash Sunny explains, you know, basically what we already know that he was in a Navy hospital and they were trying to get him to remember the hours that he had disappeared. But apparently some important files also went missing at the same time that he disappeared. And the Navy, trying to avoid, like, some kind of embarrassment, tells everybody that he's dead. So now we understand that the Will Bronson grave that Fenton went to at the beginning is this man's faked grave, right? Which is, like, very elaborate it is the Navy, but whatever. It is. You, you could just say, like, missing in action or something. Right. <laughs> or, like, we haven't gotten his body back to you yet. They would not dig a new grave. But anyway. But also now there's this other man who's trying to get to him as well. We don't know, like, is this the Navy? Like, who is this man that was just chasing Will slash Sonny? Because obviously it wasn't the two guys that Fenton was with. So they go to the graveyard and Frank leaves looking for Fenton um, and tells Joe to stay in the car with Will, who we now know is Will. Um, But Joe gets worried for Frank and leaves to go see if he's okay, leaving Sonny slash Will in the car. So he catches up to Frank, who's like, I'm fine, you idiot. I told you not to leave the car. And so Joe goes back to the car um, and Frank basically immediately falls into an open grave. <laughs> but while he's down there, he finds Fenton, who has been thrown down there, bound and gagged. How convenient. How convenient. Um, they can't get out, though, because Frank has, like, twisted his leg falling down there. <laughs> so Fenton tells, uh, but Frank unties him and ungags him, and Fenton tells Frank, that the Navy men put him down there. He didn't think they were trying to hurt him, but they wanted to go rob uh, Will Will's grave. Um, so they tied him up and left him there so that they could go do that. But now that Fenton is untied, he's able to get out of the to grave to go try to help Joe um, and Sonny slash Will. So now we see Will get out of the car and sees the man who had been chasing him earlier has followed them there, and he's just waiting outside for him. But now Will seems to recognize this man. Maybe his memory has come back to him and he starts calling him Commander. And we realize that it's actually this man, this Commander, who has sold these secrets to some, I guess, foreign, (laughs) foreign enemy. And because Will didn't want to believe this of this Commander, that he would do something like this, he just loses his memory Goes into some kind of temporary fugue state because of the (laughs) trauma of realizing that this man that you trusted is sketchy, I guess. Okay, but whatever. I guess we'll accept that as what has happened. But now this commander, you know, now Will knows 
that this man is the one that has sold secrets. And so obviously this commander can't allow that this man to, to walk free. And so he pulls out a gun and leads him to the car at gunpoint, his car at gunpoint. Joe is now just getting back to the car and he sees them get in the car and start to drive off. So he jumps into his van and blocks the car. So the commander jumps back out of the car and in this kind of like scuffle, Will is able to grab the commander's gun. But the commander still runs off through the graveyard. And what happens, Corey, (laughs) except that he ends up falling into the same open grave where Frank (laughs) is sitting down there with a twisted leg. And they're just like... Hey, stop. <laughs> oh, oh, and that's, that's kind wonderful. of the end of the confrontation. And so then we get back, flash forward to the Hardy home, and Gertie is serving everybody hot drinks. And um, this is our little bit of a wrap-up where the Navy tells Will, Sonny, that they were just trying to protect him. We knew you didn't steal the files. We just didn't know who had stolen the files. But obviously now we do, and we've arrested him, and everything is good and safe. And... Callie kisses Frank on the cheek, calling him like a hero or something. Mm. And Joe is like, well, you know, where's my kiss for being a hero or whatever? And Gertie, Aunt Gertie leans down and kisses Joe. It's very, very cute. And then we end with a freeze frame, a freeze frame on everybody sitting in the living room. Happy and cute. So, so good. Classic. Classic. Do we want to discuss now or do we want to do Nancy first and then discuss everything at the end? Yeah, I don't have a whole lot on this. But that's really because I don't have a whole lot of baseline of what the Hardy Boy or what like what I would expect to see from Hardy Boys TV show. But like overall, I found it super entertaining, super funny. I thought that the dynamic between Frank and Joe was excellent. I thought that they did a really great job playing off of each other with Frank kind of being the more serious one and Joe being kind of goofy, but also Mm -hmm. like really, really just bright and intelligent. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I don't know. I just thought it was great. I just thought it was so fabulous. So fun to watch. It's really good. Yeah. I think, let's see the 70s slang and then the old jokes really (laughs) were the cherry on top for me. Mm Mm-hmm. I love the interactions with the police. Those are great. Oh my gosh, the best. So this is kind of like the true, true across both episodes and both situations is any scene that our, you know, detectives have with the cops is so good Mm -hmm. because you kind of see that the cops are like, who are you? <laughs> like, who are these two punks or whatever? And, but they're just so confident and like, um, they're like, yeah, we know what we're talking about. And, you know, you can believe us or not, basically. It's just so, so good. So good. Um, I think kind of just like the highlight of of this for me, and I think what really makes it so, like what makes it feel like I am watching what I would read in a Hardy Boys book, even though I've never read a Hardy Boys book. It's just like the silliness of like, the locations and the setting it's like why are we going to a haunted house why is sunny at this haunted house it's like the biggest question mark i guess he works there but why but like of course we're going to a haunted house of course frank and joe are investigating a haunted house like that is so classic like just such like a classic trope of like the hardy boys just doing these ridiculous things i don't even know how to explain it but at the same time having 
all of the characters so grounded in what they're doing in these ridiculous and fantastic situations. It's so it's so good. So classic. Really well done. Yes. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think my biggest, I guess the biggest impact that this episode had on me was in just the way that everything looked mm-hmm. and like <laughs> the, the funniness of the sets, but also the costuming and the way that Frank and Joe look. It's just so, we kind of, we already kind of already talked about that. So like, just wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's so good. I love it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what we're really here for. <laughs> Episode two, The Mystery of the Pirate's Cove, which what better way to start than pirates, first honestly, off. Honestly. And then we'll get to it, but greatest plot twist that you <laughs> ever oh could have my imagined. Gosh! <laughs> so good. Literally, okay, just a little preview for y'all. I was sitting here on the couch watching us with Lance last night. We It slowly re- dawned yeah. on us what was happening. And like... Because the character says something about something. We're like, wait, wait, wait. What did he just say? Hold on. (laughs) And I literally backed it up. And I was like, did he say that he did that? Mm -hmm. And it's not outright, but like they say enough that you, you know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and Lance, Lance got to it way faster than I did. And I was like, and then he starts saying exactly what he did. And I'm like, oh my God. And I literally jumped up off of this couch and I ran away from the TV because I couldn't sit there with the reality of what was actually happening in front of me. And then I had to come back and back it up and watch it again and then ran and like jumped around and like was literally screaming with Lance. It's this, it's this. Oh my God. I can't believe they did this. (laughs) So y'all, I'm not freaking kidding when I say go watch this episode and then come back because mm-hmm. it's so amazing it's so amazing so anyway Corey, do you want to start us off yes I you know I want people to listen to this episode but I also want them to just go watch it for themselves go watch it you really cannot beat that the ending <laughs> or the plot twist at the end yeah 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 um, but yeah, so episode two, we open, obviously, this is the Nancy episode. We open, Nancy is at a party, like some, I guess, house party in somebody's backyard. I guess they're friends with this guy named Brandon, who Nancy is dancing with. But then over off to the side, Ned and George are kind of sitting by themselves. I guess they're just having some drinks or whatever. And George is teasing Ned. And she's like, oh, if, if you really like Nancy, you really need to tell her, say something to her. And Ned is like, oh, no, you know, I work for her father. So it really wouldn't be appropriate or whatever <laughs> i hate ned in this they portray <laughs> ned in such an accurate way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh it's so true yeah we'll definitely talk about that it's really easy to hate him yeah yeah but ned yeah ned says like oh i just feel responsible for nancy while carson's out of town everybody's like and george is like we're all like right okay mm-hmm. got it you got feel it, got responsible it. because you need to take on the parent role when you're what a year older than her max we have to talk about the dynamics between Ned, Nancy, and Ned, Carson, and Nancy, <laughs> because it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. But so then Brandon, yeah, Brandon brings up the fact that he has a boat, um, and they can all go out on their boat, uh, on his boat. And so they do, uh, Nancy, George, and Brandon all go out on Brandon's boat. And Ned. Um, and, oh, yes, and Ned. Yeah, Ned, Ned goes, goes too. <laughs> Sorry. And as they're, it's, a, it's like a speedboat, and as they're speeding along, which they never explain what this body of water is, but I, through some context clues, we learn 
that they is do. the coast. Yeah, they, they say it's the coast. They say it's River Heights, but they say it's on the coast, which I think that they said River Heights on the coast just for this episode. Oh, just for this episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, weird. Well, I, like, I don't think that they move River Heights. I mean, I think they set River oh, Heights for the show the just because for this episode they wanted to have a coastal thing. And I think they mentioned something about California at one point, and they're like, "We're on the opposite coast." Yes. you know. So I think we are East Coast here, but definitely, we don't know definitely, definitely. Where. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. On. That's what I. That's what I was meaning is that they don't specifically say where they are, but gotcha. we, from some context clues, we can kind of understand. But like, what can we just pause for a second and talk about what the heck is up with having to make Nancy live on the coast? What is yeah. that about? Why does it have to be a coastal town? Nancy's supposed to live in the Midwest, y'all. I know. Is it supposed uh, to be like foggy coastal vibes, and they just want to play off of that? I mean, I totally get like the vibes of a mystery show being on the coast. It's very, I guess, cinematic. Sure. But like, that's not. There's not Nancy Root. That's not what that is. You know. But the anyway. CW show is also set on a coastal yeah. town. Well, and there's a. So I read the comic book um the big lie or another one well so the big lie takes place in baytown which okay. is frank and joe's hometown i think right um and that is on the coast but then there's another one oh no no okay no Bayport? I, I take Bayport? it back baytown i think it's i think it's baytown okay um I don't remember. <laughs> never mind i'm thinking about what happens in the other comic book i'm thinking about is it starts off in river heights and then nancy goes to visit bayport with frank and joe so oh. I take it back. I take it back. Okay. Um, yeah, so they're on the speedboat, and Nancy just kind of, like, proclaims, something's wrong. Like, I don't know if she just gets, like, this sixth sense or something, but it's just, like, this amazing, something's wrong, Brandon. Stop the boat. Slow down. Um, and so he does, and she, like, looks over, and there's just, like, a bunch of dead fish. And Nancy's like, I've seen all these dead fish. What are all these dead fish? And so and they're flying fish as well, which is, yeah. I don't, are there flying fish on the coast off of the East Coast? There are now. (laughs) But Ned scoops one out of the water and Nancy says that it must have died recently because it's not stiff. And I don't know science, right? Okay, I'm not a biologist or anything. But do fish undergo rigor mortis? Is that something that happens to fish? They must if Nancy knows about it. I just always assumed that a dead fish is always floppy because I think about like when you catch a fish and it Mm. dies, it doesn't, it doesn't get stiff, does it? Unless you freeze it. I have not been around enough dead fish to know. I I guess. I guess. I don't go fishing personally. So (laughs) (laughs) anyway, anyway, I just thought that was hilarious. But they throw it back because why would they hold on to a dead fish? Right. And they're like, hey, let's go up to that old lighthouse, that old abandoned lighthouse. That'll be cool. A cool outing, I guess. But they look over to the lighthouse, like up on the cliffs, and they see that it's lit up. It's not abandoned, apparently. Or is someone there and like vandalizing the place? Like what's going on? So they decide, let's go back to the party and call the sheriff. So they do that. (laughs) It also just so happens that Carson manages the lighthouse. Oh, my God. I don't understand. Yeah. This was so, yeah, they, they go meet the sheriff at the lighthouse and they're explaining to the sheriff like everything that happened. And of course, the sheriff is like, I don't believe you. The lighthouse is locked. There's no way that anybody could get up here. Again, another classic detective versus cop scene. Yeah. He's like, there's no broken windows. It doesn't look like anybody broke in or wanted or anything unless it was a ghost. Woo-hoo-hoo. 
But Nancy gives him a very serious look at that. Like, hey, it could be a ghost, basically. (laughs) And he's like, okay, whatever. You do whatever you want, but wait until the morning. Because your father manages this property. What? Apparently it's like currently in the process of being sold to a new owner. And Carson is the lawyer in charge of the sale. So that automatically in the police's eyes gives Nancy the right to break into the lighthouse and investigate it for whatever reason. Well, I mean, to be fair, she she works as her father for an, as an investigator. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, actually it makes quite a bit of sense that like, if something fishy was going on with the lighthouse and your father manages the property and you work for him literally to investigate stuff that you would go to the lighthouse and check it out and what's going on. But then why does Nancy have to wait for the police? Why can't she get the key from Carson or his office or whatever, and then just independently decide to go in there. Surely Carson's not going to have an issue with that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If Nancy's trying to stop someone from vandalizing the property that he's in charge of, that he's responsible for the welfare of, you know? Yeah. Like, (laughs) I don't get it. (laughs) So yeah, they talk to the sheriff, um, but then they, they leave the lighthouse and we see that someone is watching them from the top of the lighthouse, but of course we can't see who. Um, flash forward to the next day, though, Ned is in Carson's office and he's telling Carson about the lighthouse and everything that happened yesterday. And he says, Nancy's probably actually right right now investigating it because of what we saw last night. Carson essentially tells Ned to like go watch after Nancy and go be her chaperone while she's investigating the lighthouse. Carson does start talking about the lighthouse a little bit more. We learn that it previously was owned by someone that they call Old Man Jensen, and it's being sold to this professor guy, Professor Wall, who is a parapsychology professor. (laughs) Um, And he is conducting some sort of psychic research and needs the lighthouse for ghost purposes. (laughs) whatever uh but then ned does leave he does at this point go to the lighthouse to to see or to catch up with nancy and george who are already there yeah meanwhile we flash to nancy and george and they're at the lighthouse they're trying to saw through the lock on the lighthouse door and again i'm just like can they not get the key from carson i don't understand why they're trying to break the lock on the door of the property that their dad manages surely their father or her father has the key Mm -hmm. you know yeah but uh, Nancy kind of, while George is sawing through the lock, she goes around to investigate the property a little bit. And she finds tire tracks that lead like directly to the cliff, like off the cliff, almost as if someone has like driven their car off of the cliff. But at that moment, George makes it through the, the lock and she calls Nancy back and they go back into the lighthouse. They freak out because apparently it's ooky spooky to them, but it does not look ooky spooky to me. It just looks like a dirty lighthouse. Like it's just abandoned, yeah. <laughs> there's some cobwebs and quite a bit of dirt and dust, but like, whatever. But then there's like this bat and that freaks George out more. And George is like, um, I'm going to go investigate the tire tracks some more while you will go up. Okay, bye. Yeah. And she abandons Nancy and the lighthouse. But Nancy is fine because she's already super interested in going upstairs. So she does, but then we flash back to George, who is currently outside examining the tire tracks, as she said she would. And she's like standing right at the edge of the cliff, kind of looking out. And someone comes up behind her, slowly creeps up behind her very creepily, and basically almost knocks her off the cliff. But like he grabs her, 
he apologized. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry for scaring you. Even though I literally didn't say anything and slowly snuck up behind you to like. Made you jump. Almost made off you the jump. Cliff. And then grabbed you and held you. By the way, he yeah. holds her super creepily. And George is very clearly very uncomfortable with it. And for like a long time too. He yeah, doesn't let he like, go as soon as she gets mm, her foot footing. Mm. I mean. But he's like, I'm sorry. You know, I'm Professor Jack Wall. I'm the new owner. As if that excuses his behavior in some way. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Nancy's inside back up in the lighthouse and she sees muddy footprints on the ground. So she's like, hmm, someone has been in here. Mm-hmm. At this point, Ned has shown up outside and um, he kind of catches up with the professor and George. Nancy comes outside and introduces herself to the professor. Um, at this point, the professor is like, oh, you know, maybe you can help me protect my interests in the lighthouse. And Nancy's like, what are they exactly? What are your interests here? Um, and he tells her, you know, I'm a professor. I'm studying parapsychology. I'm trying to look into ghost stories associated with this lighthouse. Ned is obviously very jealous. It's a very creepy, creepy dynamic between the professor, Ned and Nancy, but whatever. They ask the professor to kind of walk around with them, show them around the property, and then he can sign off on the final documents for the sale. Nancy goes with them up to the lighthouse to show them where the footprints are, but the footprints have disappeared somehow. The professor somehow comes up with this idea that Nancy needs to spend the night with him in the lighthouse to, I guess, watch out for the ghost and see if anything else creepy happens overnight. And for some reason, she is more than gung-ho to do this. <laughs> of course she is, Corey. Of course she is. It's Nancy Drew. Do you think she's going to pass up the opportunity to ghost hunt in a lighthouse overnight? With a 50-year-old man alone. Even so. I don't so. know how old he is, but he's Even so. way older than Nancy. I think, okay, it's kind of really weird because Carson describes him to Ned earlier as being like young and actually quite attractive or whatever. And no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's just like a 70s thing, but he definitely seems like very middle aged and like compared to Nancy's 18 year oldness, it's very gross. It's very gross. And that that's just the tip of the iceberg. It gets much worse. Don't worry. <laughs> So yeah, so um, he invites them to do this, but that's going to be later this evening. So later they're like, I guess at his hotel room or something and like helping him load stuff into his van. And he's outside of the van and Nancy kind of wonders aloud where the professor learned that the lighthouse was haunted because they've lived here, obviously, basically their whole lives. And they have never heard any legends about the lighthouse being haunted or anything. Professor overhears this, comes back in and explains, oh, you know, I found it in an old book in California. I found it like three years ago or something. And it's taken me forever to figure out where this lighthouse was located. He shows them a map or tracing of a map from this book, supposedly, um, and overlays it with the coastline of the area, which is, I just have to say, very, very obviously the coastline of New Jersey. Yes. Unmistakably. Unmistakably New Jersey. You cannot... only need to glance at a map of New Jersey to understand, oh, yeah, that's the coastline of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So two things, <laughs> two things from that. One, they put River Heights in New Jersey? Yeah. Why? Why? Two, it took him three years to find New Jersey, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> it took him three years to look at a map of the U.S. 
and be like, what does this coastline look like? Hmm. Oh, let's see. It's not California. I live in California. Is it Florida? Hmm, I can't tell. It might be Florida, not Florida. Three years to do that. Three years. (laughs) Yeah, anyway. Um, But he explains a little bit more about the ghost story and is like, actually, the ghost stories are based on like pirates that supposedly buried treasure in like these network of caves around the area. Mm -hmm. Um, He explains that like some pirates died or whatever. I wasn't really paying attention. (laughs) that part that's okay no that's pretty much it it's just there were pirates they hid the treasure in the caves and now everybody's after the treasure yeah and now haunt the area Mm -hmm. warding off people from their treasure right um so at this point the professor like leaves the hotel room for some reason and leaves nancy and george looking at this book and he had he had explained to them that this book was given to him by one of his students three years ago and that's why he's been looking for so long But then Nancy flips to the front of the book and sees like a library card in the Mm -hmm. book. And it says that it was checked out like six months ago, like last June. So obviously he's lying about this, but we just don't know why. Mm -hmm. But Nancy is more excited than ever to investigate this. So she gets permission from Carson to spend the night at the lighthouse on the condition that George goes with her. (sighs) So they, that night they do Nancy and George drive out to the lighthouse and the professor's already there but it has started to, to thunder and lightning outside. So it's storming. Um, and he says, er, Nancy like wants to go upstairs for some reason to look out from the top of the lighthouse. But he's like, oh no, down in the basement, I have everything set up for us. And I have <laughs> snacks and I've made cookies and you know all this stuff. It's just so creepy. It's and, very creepy. Yeah, I don't know. Something about a bed set up in case anybody needs a nap. It was, yeah. It was really he's strange. a skis. He's a skis. So Big skis. And yeah, he almost seems like annoyed that George is there. Like, why didn't you come alone, Nancy? It's Mm -hmm. so gross. So Mm -hmm. gross. But yeah, he's also, he's got all the snacks set up there, but he's also got a bunch of monitoring equipment, all, yeah, it's huge, massive machines everywhere in the basement of this lighthouse. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to say that like, while Nancy and George were driving up too, they kind of talk and Nancy is like, "Uh, I bet he has rigged something for us i bet i I don't think this this lighthouse is really haunted i bet this guy's a fake and i bet he's gonna rig some kind of fake ghostly evidence for us and so as they're sitting in the basement apparently they've been there for a while they're just chatting waiting for some kind of ghostly evidence to appear on the monitoring equipment that the professor has set up they're talking about people believing ghost haunted caverns along the coast that we talked about and cause like actual whole ships to like vanish george brings up the fish like hey maybe that's why all the fish died but then suddenly we hear something from a microphone that's apparently set somewhere in the lighthouse it's like some kind of spooky scraping noise (laughs) george gets freaked out she's like nancy let's go nancy's like i'm definitely not leaving now we've waited all (laughs) night for this But then she kind of looks around and she gets like this look on her eyes and she's like, don't worry, George, I can get rid of the ghosts. And she said, ghosts of the lighthouse, be gone. And she clicks down a button on a tape deck that was playing this music through the speaker that the microphone was. So she's realized she's seen what the professor has set up and realized the professor has raked this for them and caught him out. Mm. Oh, excellent. Quality Nancy Drewing quality drewing oh love it so much so good it's so good 
Uh, so Nancy's guess is that the professor is actually hunting for some of this pirate treasure and didn't want anyone around to know or was trying to scare people away with this ghost story so he could look without being bothered. Um, and George is like, why? He owns the land. Why would he need to go to all this effort? And the professor explains that when Carson and Ned drew up the paperwork for the sale, um, there was a specific clause in the paperwork that excludes the rights to anything underground. So all the caves and stuff aren't part of this, which is where they think the pirates hid their treasure, right? So he wouldn't automatically get the rights to anything that was found. But so obviously this means the professor doesn't have rights to any buried treasure, right? So he mm -hmm. has to keep it a secret. And so is there under the guise of ghost hunting. Mm -hmm. But Nancy is like, okay, well, you know, now that we know this, we got to go talk to Carson. So they all go to the Drew's living room to talk about the matter. And this is a great scene, honestly. I love this. Carson agrees to make a deal with the professor and says, we'll still sell you the property along with the rights to dig for double the price. And uh, my client is now, will now be able to get 10% of any treasure that you find on the property. Mm -hmm. Quality. Um, professor Wall is obviously upset or whatever, annoyed at this, but he accepts. He does make this really creepy innuendo that the only reason like he accepted this offer is because he likes Nancy so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry, does Nancy come with the sale? Is that part of this? We, yeah, yeah, that's what it feels like, though. It definitely does. Or like he implies that like, I'm buying this and I'm also buying getting to spend time with your pretty young daughter. Ew. Mm -hmm. He leaves and then Carson basically tells Nancy and George, and I thought this was just excellent. Oh, I know. I love that <laughs> old man Jensen. So Carson told old man Jensen. He must have called him or something. And old man Jensen told Carson to drive the hardest bargain he could for him, saying, when it comes to looking for gold, try to be the one that sells the pick and shovels. That's the only way to get rich. <laughs> How cute is that? I like Love that. it. Love it. Carson goes to bed at this point, but Nancy is still just kind of bothered by everything that's happened. She's like, what about those footprints? Why or how did he make the footprints? How did he make them disappear? Everything still just kind of seems strange to me. At this point, she asked George to do something and George is like, no, I'm actually going to New York with my mom tomorrow. So count me out for any more spooky stuff or mystery solving. Uh, but Nancy's like, oh, even better. I need you to go to the big New York Public Library there and ask about that book that the professor had that he said was three years old, but he'd only just recently checked out. Yeah, so George agrees to do that. And the next day, Ned and Nancy decide to go walking down the coast to see if they can look for some sort of way to get into the lighthouse from from the water, basically, to get into the caves. And Nancy thinks that this is probably the only way that someone could have gotten in and out of the lighthouse to leave the footprints and then clear them so quickly while the professor was with Nancy and George. Um, and they do, they find a cave and notice that there is an opening that wasn't there when they were on the boat the other day. So they conclude that someone must have blown a, a hole in the side of, of the cliff to, to access these caves. So they decide to go exploring. Of course, of course they do. <laughs> um, they also realize too that, oh, it must have been the explosion of blowing open this cave that killed all the fish. Mm -hmm. Which I thought, just to tie that loose end up. Yes, yes. So they go into the cave, but the professor sees them go in. He's like watching from on top of the cliffs. And so he goes into the lighthouse and goes into a trap door, presumably also down into the cave. So they're walking through the cave and then the tide starts coming in because of course it does, because we're in a sea cave and that's what happens um, in a mystery story. When you're inside a sea cave, the tide comes in. 
it does take them a very long time for them to realize that this is what is happening. Like the water is like up to their ankles before they're like, oh, <laughs> oh no. Even though before they even go in, Nancy's Ned like, oh, yeah, yes. the tide is going to come in soon. And Nancy's like, well, we better hurry and get in there then. And she's like, oh, well, wow, the tide's coming in quicker than I thought. This is like, this is the only thing that is like, this is not the Nancy Drew that I know. Right. You don't go into a sea cave when you're like, oh, the tide's going to come in soon. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you're supposed to know when the tide comes in so that you can get out before that happens. Right. <laughs> but anyway, so Nancy, they're ankle deep in water. The tide's coming in. Nancy wants to keep going to try to get because she's sure that this is the way to the lighthouse. So she thinks that they'll be able to get into the lighthouse to safety. Ned's like, we don't know that for sure. We need to turn back before it's too late. So then Ned literally like grabs her and forces her to turn back. What an ass. I hate Ned. I hate it's Ned so Ned. much. And so he like drags her through like this rushing water, which is now up to their waist. Um, and they realize it's too late for them to go back that way. They're going to have to turn around and keep going. Like Nancy said. I Sorry. know. Let's listen to Nancy. You could have been fine by now, but whatever. Yeah, so they go back and they find a locked door that they can't get through. Um, the water is like rapidly rising to their chests. They're like banging on the door to try to, because it's locked, to try to get, I guess, whoever's inside the lighthouse's attention. But now we see the professor come downstairs, clearly on the other side of the door that Ned and Nancy are banging on. He can hear them through the door. And he smiles and he waits. Mm -hmm. He doesn't open the door even though they're like moments from drowning. Uh, Nancy has the idea that she's going to get on Ned's shoulders because she can see like an opening above the door where they're trying to get into. So she somehow gets up into this like chamber room above where the door is. Um, and she finds a treasure chest up in this big chamber. But she even says something to Ned like, hey, I can feel wind up here. And Ned's like, who cares about the wind? Well, obviously that means that there's an opening that you can get <laughs> out of, Ned. That's the only thing you should be caring about right now. Um, but she she finds the treasure and then right as Ned is like about to drown and she's trying to like pull him up into the chamber, the professor opens the door pretending like he had only just got there and heard them and opens the door and then all the water comes rushing through. So uh, Ned is able to to stand up and they're both fine at this point. But then Nancy's like, hey, come look and see what I just found. And they go and she shows them the treasure. Mm. Mm. Um, okay, so they're all safe, and later at Carson's office, they're showing the treasure to old man Jensen, and Carson says this is worth, like, $2 million, which mm. I don't know how they came up with that figure so quickly. It's apparently a bunch of gold doubloons, so th these mm. are old coins. You have to have an appraiser or someone come out, or some historian or something, to be like, how much is this historical find worth? You know what I mean? I mean? Maybe they did and we just don't see it, but it does happen very quickly. I don't so think knows. they do because of, <laughs> I don't, I don't think they do because I have some issues with it because if they did, then something we else. We would know. Yeah. We would okay. know. We'll we get would there know. though. We'll, get, we'll there. get there. So anyway, they're all happy. Yay. We're rich. We're all rich, whatever. But Nancy is being kind of weird. She's like making this face. Like she's realized something and she knows something that nobody else does. Um, so she kind of runs off to go meet with George. George shows her a copy of the chapter from the book that she was able to track down at the New York Public Library. But she shows her a copy of a chapter of the book 
that has the map in it that the professor apparently showed them before, except it's not the same map. This right. is not the map that the professor showed them. This does not look anything like it. It looks like Florida, yeah. <laughs> not New Jersey. So, but we still don't really understand what this means, but it means something to Nancy. So she runs off. She goes back to the lighthouse alone, by the way, and starts talking to the professor. And she tells him, oh, I'm so glad we were able to solve this mystery. And she's like, oh, yeah, I think I really, really figured this one out. You were so clever, professor, about how you rewrote history and planted the treasure in that cave. And he's like, Nancy, what are you talking about? She's like, I know what you really did. He's like, how many other people did you tell? She's like, I told everyone. And he goes, no, you didn't, because they never would have let you come here if you had. And she runs out of the lighthouse because she figures out now he's about to attack her. Um, and he follows her out onto the cliffs and starts threatening her and stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, she explains that, like, you know, I guess that there was you somehow got your hands on two million dollars that you couldn't explain to the IRS or to the police. So, you, you know, you had to come up with some kind of story unless you wanted to leave the U.S. to explain, you know, your newfound wealth. So you decided to find treasure, quote unquote, find treasure. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So he tells her. Oh, my God. He says, or, or no, he's pushing her towards the cliff. She says, you'll get life for murder. And he says, you'll also get life for hijacking a plane. Ah! We're like, wait, 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 wait. Stop a the plane. tape. What did he just say? He hijacked a plane? Then he explains that, yes, he hijacked a plane. He stole $2 million, parachuted out of the plane, broke his legs, had to hide in a cave. He's D.B. Cooper. He's D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper has been haunting this lighthouse. Nancy uncovers D.B. Cooper. Ah! Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Right? <sighs> so in order to explain this $2 million that he has, that he, you know, he can't explain that to the IRS, he plants it as treasure and then finds it and is happy to part with the 10% to old man Jensen just to have this money be quote unquote legitimate. Right. Oh Ooh. my God. So he's backing Nancy up to the cliff. Who could have predicted this plot twist? It is I mean. so good i mean db cooper was such a big mystery at the time that they decide to tackle db cooper then nancy drew's first ever television episode i think he'd only disappeared like four or five years prior to yeah. this airing right that's so what was i was looking at hot topic at the time yeah As i literally paused the episode and i was like stop the presses when was db cooper i was like surely surely it's not db cooper and then it's like db cooper happened in like 1971 Mm -hmm. And this episode aired in 1977, but it was filmed in 1976. Mm -hmm. um, and you can tell that, too, because the date of the library card that Nancy looks at in the book says 1976, June 1976. Right. So this is occurring in 1976. Mm -hmm. And, oh, my God. So, like, his story is that basically he fell out of this plane uh, parachuted out of this plane with all his money, broke both of his legs, had to hide in a cave for like a really long time to let his legs heal, which I'm like, first of all, no. That's not how healing works. I'm sorry. You're going to like get an infection and die. And like, how did you eat food and like, whatever. And why are you walking normally <laughs> right now? Right. right. <laughs> anyway, but he's waited for like, he had to wait 
this long time and then he had to wait like three years to be able to get all of like the gold coins collected yeah he put ads in newspapers like i'm collecting pieces of eight and gold doubloons and yeah. had to get like you know specific time period coins so that if it was appraised it would look legitimate to build up this quote-unquote pirate treasure to unreal um anyway so <laughs> So then he's pushing Nancy towards the cliff. But then suddenly we see the the man in the White House, right? The man that we've been seeing. Who is that man? Turns out it's the FBI. They come out of the lighthouse. There's more than just one of them. And they surround the professor and rescue Nancy. And this is the only part that doesn't make sense to me as to, one, how they knew that this was happening, how they caught up to him or whatever. But they say... That they've been watching him for years, but apparently they can arrest him now for some reason. I don't know if it's because mm. he's attempting to harm Nancy. Really, he was just kind of walking her towards the cliff. He didn't try right. to push her off yet. So, like, eh, that's tenuous. I don't understand. If they were in the lighthouse the whole time with him, how did he not notice them? <laughs> and, like, how did he go and become a full professor in California without... I assume you know, he was a professor before he okay heisted the money sure we don't know that he wasn't so or maybe he's not really a professor at all and they just call him professor because that's the title he goes by i don't know who knows oh but anyway we flash forward (laughs) to the drew home after the the big arrest scene um and nancy kind of explains the whole buying up the coins plot and laundering the money in that way and um we have this funny little scene at the very end and Ned's like, how on earth did you figure out that whole plot, Nancy? And Nancy goes, well, first thing I did was I took one of those coins from the chest and then I used it to buy the morning newspaper and I read the whole confession this morning. (laughs) Oh, and then she gives Ned a kiss on the cheek and we get another freeze frame. Can I just Mm -hmm. say, if we end every episode with a kiss on the cheek and the freeze frame, I will be so happy. That's the best. We do! It's not always a kiss on the cheek, but it's always some sort of cheeky little line and then the freeze frame and then the music. I just love love it so much that both the Hardy Boys episode and the Nancy Drew episode end with a kiss on the cheek and a freeze frame. Uh, It's really nice. It's it's amazing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful television. Beautiful television. Not that Ned deserves any kisses, but. No, no. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Oh my god! What a great story. Oh my god! It's DB Cooper. It's DB Cooper. Nancy solved it. We have to tell Emily about this because Emily is obsessed with DB Cooper. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I mean, who wouldn't be? I right. mean, it's such a an interesting, fascinating story, still mm-hmm. unsolved to this day. If y'all haven't, if y'all don't know about DB Cooper, there's a bunch of really great documentaries about DB Cooper. I think one came out really recently, actually, in like the past year, they on Netflix or something. So go watch that, please, because <laughs> it's the crazy yeah. story. It's one of the greatest unsolved true criminal cases that mm-hmm. there is in mm-hmm. American history. I think so. Yeah, yeah. it's really yeah. really interesting. And the fact that Nancy Drew figured it out all oh my on her god. own. Oh my god. Oh, love it. Okay. Oh my god. I mean, how do we even begin? Ned. How do we yeah. Let's get that over with. You're right. You're totally right. Let's start with Ned. Yeah. I mean, what an ass. I mean, like, what an ass. 
I mean, like, we knew he was an ass. Like, we always knew he was an ass. But he's a major ass in this. The paternalistic, like, I'm going to take care of you, Nancy. And I'm. he literally says he's going to straighten her out at one point. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what? Excuse me? Gross. And also, like, he literally, he manhandles Nancy, like, grabs her. And he's also just, like, such a boob. Like, he's lame. He doesn't want to, like, go into the lighthouse to investigate. He's, like, always, like, a downer on her plans or her ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just an ass. Just a total ass. There are quite a few things that made me physically cringe when I was watching it. Like, even the first scene after they get back from their little boat trip with Brandon, Ned is more than eager to get rid of Brandon. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, come on, let's go go see the White House. Let's call the sheriff and go. And Ned's like... Bye, Brandon. You stay here at your own party. Thanks for inviting us, but we'll never see you again. Stay away from Nancy. Like, it's just so... (laughs) He's super territorial. He's territorial about Brandon. He's territorial about the professor, which the professor is super gross. But, Ned, you don't have a claim either. You know what I mean? I, I mean, like, being territorial is bad in all circumstances. But let's be clear. Ned is not even dating Nancy. Yeah, they're not together. They're not together. He's just a, what, a paralegal or something for her dad? Yeah. (sighs) Okay, so the scene where (laughs) Nancy is asking Carson's permission to go spend Ah! the night with the professor at the the White House. She's, like, trying to convince him. It's like, oh, no, Dad, it's all above board. He's a professor. He would never do anything wrong. No professor in the history of time has ever flirted with a teenage (laughs) girl. You're crazy for thinking that. Uh, But so she and Carson are having this little dynamic and George and Ned are also in the room kind of watching this go down. And at one point, George, she can like see Ned is getting upset by the thought of Nancy spending the evening with another man. And George like elbows him and goes, Ned, speak now or forever hold your peace. But then after George says that, Ned starts complaining to Carson like, oh, you know, gosh, I'm sorry. I should have written this down. I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's so, so gross to me. I skipped writing it down too because I was like, this is too gross. I don't want to, I don't want to think about this. Here, let me open it. I'll find it right now and play it. Yeah. <laughs> now, Ned, you stay out of this. You're not exactly unbiased, you know. And neither are you. I mean, you're chasing some sort of ghost fantasy and the professor's chasing you. Now look who's imagining things. Besides, I'm not going alone. George is coming with me. Me? I'm going. I wonder if either one of you would be willing to spend a night in that spooky old place. Mr. Drew, you're not actually considering Ned, letting them... Ned, 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 wait a minute. Let's keep our roles in perspective here. I'm Nancy's father. I'm supposed to have the wisdom of age at this point in my life. And after all, this fellow Wall is a full professor whose work dictates peculiar circumstances of this kind, right? Dad, you're terrific. Come on, George. we got lots of work to do. Sir, Ned, you have to understand something. Nancy has a very inquisitive mind. She loves to unravel a mystery. But most of the investigative work she gets to do for the firm is confined to checking out driving records and searching through legal files. But now we're talking about ghosts. Come on, Ned. Think of the attraction. The attraction is what I'm thinking about. And so is the professor, if you want my opinion. Well, if you feel that way about it, why don't you go with him? I'm sure they'd love to have you. No, thanks. I have to go over those briefs for you. I'll see you tomorrow, Mr. Drew. Right, Ned. It's one thing to say, hey, 
I'm concerned about Nancy's safety. It's another to act like you have a parenting role over someone who's not even your girlfriend to her own father. And Carson's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's remember who's who here. I'm her father. You're my employee. Right. Shut the fuck up. Don't tell my daughter what she can and can't do. Hell yeah, Carson. Yes, thank you for that, Carson. I mean, right after he sends her to spend the night with a grown man. It is, it is. There is something to be said about the fact that, like, yeah, you're not her father. You can't tell her what to do. But I am her father, and I am going to tell my grown adult daughter what she can and can't do. I think the hold your peace part must have been another scene then, but it was something just like, oh, if you don't say something now, Nancy's going to be stolen away from by this mm. adult man. So you're the one that needs to save her, Ned, because oh. otherwise you won't get to be with her. What? Ew. I think it was right when they meet the professor at the lighthouse. I think that's when he, he very immediately senses like Nancy's interest in the professor's work and the professor is already making eyes at Nancy and George, they all pick up on it. And George's oh, yeah. like, you better, yeah, speak now or forever hold your peace. Then. Yeah. You better stop this from going on. Because that's your responsibility for some reason. Nancy can trusted to make her own choices. Because you have a crush on her. Let's be mm-hmm. real. What he's saying is, and what everybody seems to be saying, is your responsibility is to sabotage Nancy and all of her potential future romantic relationships because you have a crush on her. So you have to stop this from going on. What? Because Nancy's not an adult who can make her own decisions or... Pick up on sinister things that are going on. Yeah. It's not, hey, Ned. I mean, George does say it once. Hey, Ned, you need to tell Nancy how you feel. Right. Which is, that's fair. He should, if he does feel that way. But the rest of it's not like that. It's not like, hey, Ned, tell Nancy how you feel. It's, hey, Ned, stop this from happening. Hey, Ned, go stand in between this. Instead of tell Nancy that you like her and that Mm -hmm. you want to have whatever relationship you want to have with her. Also, I will say just in general, I do think so one, I agree that Ned is awful in every iteration and that this Ned is awful, but it doesn't feel uh, very akin to the Ned of the books to me. They give him kind of like this nerdy academic persona he, they give him glasses, which is fine, whatever. But, like, yeah, he's, like, a paralegal for her father. Mm-hmm. He's not an athlete. He's not, you know, this brave, very masculine figure, which is fine. Right. But it's just doesn't – it doesn't feel very accurate to their relationship necessarily either, you know? True, true. Yeah. So mm. – I don't know if they wanted to leave Nancy single just so oh, that she well, could have so. other romantic interests, but then Ned butts into that anyway. Um, or if they just wanted a, some excuse to include Ned, so they're like, let's make him dad's assistant or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. yeah. I think it would be fine if we had a Mooney Ned working for Carson. If it wasn't gross like this. I know. You know what I mean? It'd be one thing if he, you know, looks at Nancy wistfully and sees her run off to all of her adventures while he's chained to a desk or whatever and, you know, really wants to speak up and say something about how much he likes her but doesn't feel like he can because, one, he doesn't want to dampen her excited investigative spirit, you know, doesn't want to be the quote-unquote ball and chain and also isn't brave enough to say what he feels or whatever. But it's not that. 
Right. It's not that. That would have been good. That, that would have been, been good. interesting. Yeah. And that would have like kindled some sympathy for Ned, right? From mm-hmm. us as the viewer. And that would have made us want a Ned and Nancy relationship, want Ned to work up the courage to say how he feels and want Nancy to, you know, accept that, whatever. But mm-hmm. instead we just get like this whiny, gross baby man who is just grossly like paternal and like just rude. Even the scene with the, where they go under the caves or under the cliffs and the tide comes in later. He knows that the tide is about to come in, but doesn't insist that they not go in or that they turn back when they need to. Just for the sole reason of him getting to mansplain what tides are to Nancy. <laughs> I don't really need to tell you the reason that the water is rising right now. It's called tides, Nancy. What? What? Leave it alone. She knows what tides are. She's 18 years old. Yeah. So, boo to Ned. We also need to talk about George because... um, And Bez. Yeah. This is also not a stellar portrayal for George. I would say she's not as mean in this as I I think I normally find her in other representations. But she's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) She has this facial quality that... Mm. She makes this face anytime Nancy asks her to do something she doesn't want to do or something that she finds uncomfortable or something that is like, I'm in agony and I can't believe you would ask me to do this thing. And no, I'm not going into the haunted lighthouse with you. And that's just that's constantly George, at least in this episode. I can't speak to the future episodes yet, but oh no. There's there's one point in another episode where she sleeps in the hallway because she's convinced the bedroom's haunted and like inconveniences everyone over it. It's weird. Yeah. And it just yeah, and that kind of like reticence doesn't feel like George to me. It doesn't right. George is supposed to be the yeah, I'll jump in and do this thing that nobody wants to do because I'm brave and that's my identity is I'm I'm the go-getter. I'm the one who will, you know, lift the heavy things and jump really far and run really fast to do the thing nobody else can do. Um, But that's not this George. This George is like, seems to act more like Bess would Mm -hmm. in like, you know, yeah, being really scared and not really wanting to put a whole lot to the table. She goes shopping in New York with her mom, which I'm like, is not a George thing to do at all all and she even mentions when she comes back oh yeah i got there were great sales what Mm -hmm. that's that's best where's best bring best no i know exactly (laughs) and so yeah i mean i understand the desire to kind of limit our side characters to some main ones but like why (laughs) why would you choose it to be george instead of best because it seems to Mm -hmm. be like you have a capable, like you want to portray Nancy as being the capable, strong one who's going to go in, then yes, obviously you would give her a foil in a friend who doesn't feel that way, is reticent, or maybe wants to go do other things. But if you read the books at all, you know that that's best. Right, right, exactly. Why wouldn't you just make it best? I don't know why they chose not to include best at all or not give her two friends that were foils of one another Mm -hmm. but it seems like they almost decided to take the worst qualities of both Bess and George and put them (laughs) in George they're like okay well it's the 70s and we like women who 
don't have to be pinholed into super feminine stuff. So let's give her the George name because that's mm. more, we think that that's trendy or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. You know, if, if that makes sense. But then we also have, oh, scaredy cat friend who likes to shop and doesn't want to be around spiders or footprints or anything like that. <laughs> it's much them into one character. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. It doesn't make sense to me as to why they couldn't have both. And if they really didn't want to have to have screen time for everybody, that much screen time, then just have them switch out like they do in the books right. all the dang time. Have one be a Bess episode, one be a George episode. You don't have to explain that to anybody. Like, you know, right. missed opportunity. It's like it is best, but they just like the name George better. So they'll yeah. just call her George. Or... I mean, if you really, really felt that strongly about it being one person, you could not have either Bess or George and make this person somebody entirely different. Make it Helen. I don't know. You know? Yeah, that would have been good, too. It would have been interesting, at least. Sorry, I'm trying to look up and see if Bess makes any sort of appearance later on. Mm. I don't think so, though. My sad hashtag Team Bess heart is crying. No. <laughs> Season two, Bess is in the first episode. Uh, thank god y'all i'm so excited to watch the rest of this show i know <laughs> i honestly i have never enjoyed a nancy drew screen adaptation as much as i've enjoyed this mm-hmm. that's really good so i'm very pumped to watch more i'm disappointed they didn't do any crossover episodes in the first season because i really want to get to by the oh. way, the first crossover is the first episode of season or season two is the first two episodes because I think it's like a two parter, but it's Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys meet Dracula. That's the Shut title up! of the episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. I know. I oh love my it. God. And it's got Bess in it too. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Okay. I wonder if she's going to have a thing for Dracula. I wonder if she's going to have a crush on Dracula. <laughs> please. Please. <laughs> oh. oh. Okay. Let's see. What else? Oh, yeah. Um, Nancy, anytime they call her a detective or a yeah. she corrects them and says, part-time investigator. What is that about? Which I guess kind of falls into the, the thing with Carson working for him part-time. I guess that that's where they pull that from. But it's like her job title. I but guess. Like, but why? She <laughs> yeah, she's a detective. Why can't Nancy be a detective? I don't understand what that's about. Yeah, I don't know. So I will say they had a missed opportunity also to include Chief McGinnis in this oh yeah that would have been nice they had a sheriff some rando sheriff that i think they said the name of but i don't remember instead of chief mcginnis he doesn't matter i yeah and also i do think as entertaining as it was to watch whoever this sheriff was disbelieve nancy it wasn't super canonical because mm-hmm. if Nancy had called anyone in the River Heights Police Department, they would have been like, yes, Queen, you do exactly what you want. We'll bow <laughs> down. Um, do you need us to write a check? Like, who should we make that out to? How many cars do you need on the scene? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. So, yeah. It could have been a really funny introduction moment, too. Like, maybe Nancy calls the cops or whatever, but it's not a detective or it's not a um, it's not the sheriff that comes out. It's just some rando police officer. And he doesn't believe Nancy. And she could be like, are you new? <laughs> you don't and know who I am. She's you. like, you should call the chief. Call the chief and ask him whatever. And then maybe he radios the chief and he's like, open it for her. <laughs> Oh, that would have been excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Missed opportunity. 
45 years too late on that one. <laughs> Damn it. <sighs> but only I had been alive in 1976 when they were producing these. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, I, that's all the notes that I have. It was really just Ned and Bess were the biggest ones that bothered me. Yeah, I mean, for real. And the skeeziness of the men, just in general, I yes. think. Overall, I think I'm pro-Carson. I guess I, I'm irritated a little bit by the fact that he still thinks that he has some kind of control and ability to tell Nancy yes or no for the things that she's allowed to do. But I understand that she's 18 and I understand that this is the 70s and I'm going to put myself another time where that was acceptable behavior. And I can even understand how to a certain extent that's protectiveness and that's coming from a place of love and not, not the actual desire to control. Because I do think that Carson does show quite a bit of um, leniency as far as Nancy and understanding who she is and what she wants to do, especially in that scene where she's talking to him about the lighthouse and asking him if she could go. He tells Ned, he's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, this is a prime opportunity for Nancy. And she's stuck inside all day doing all the boring desk work. I'm not going to stop her from going doing this thing that she loves, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that from Carson. Yeah, so I'm pro Carson, but everybody else is super, super skeezy to me. Mm -hmm. Ned's skeezy. Brandon's fine. Brandon's fine. Yeah. But he was in in there approximately two minutes. Yeah. His whole purpose is just owning a boat. Yeah. Well, and to dance with Nancy. Dance with Nancy. Which I kind of appreciated, you know? It just felt very nice to me. Like, someone expressing interest in Nancy. Even if it's just interest to dance. Yeah. You know? I like that. Cute. Yeah, everybody else. Obviously, the professor, super gross. Gross, disgusting, you know? Mm -hmm. Old man hitting on 18-year-old girls and ever the thing about that i'm sorry not to circle back again but the thing about that that grosses me out so much is not the fact that he's hitting on her because of course old men are always going to hit on really young women but the fact that everybody seems to be okay with it like sam ned george doesn't say anything to nancy about how creepy it is in fact george seems to be kind of taken with the professor too yeah it's weird even carson doesn't seem to see an issue with it because he kind of like condones it by saying he's kind of like this attractive guy. Like, of course, you know, he's not. Ew. No, he's definitely not. Okay. (laughs) We have to talk about how all seventies men over the age of like 25 look exactly the same. I couldn't tell them apart. I was like, is that Carson or is (laughs) that the professor? Because I don't know. I don't know. And in the Hardy boys episode, especially because there's so many male characters in that one. It's like we've got Frank and Joe and we've got Fenton and we've got the two men that follow Fenton and maybe two other men that I'm not, I still can't tell if they were somebody different or if they, they were might have been different the people. two men that were following Fenton. Then we've got Sonny and then we've got the man that's following Sonny. So commander, yeah. Commander, right. Mm-hmm. So many men that I'm like, I don't know who this person is. So that's a critique that I have. Nobody looks different at all. <laughs> All their styles just kind of merge together. It's the hair. It's the hair. 70s glob. Yeah, it's just. It's the hair. The hair. Everybody's haircut is the same. And weirdly, you can't like distinguish colors very well. It's like, unless it's Frank, because Frank has very dark hair. The rest of it's kind of like this sandy brownish thing that I'm like, if everybody has that hair color and they all have the same hairstyles, which is like, um, like this helmet 
like yes. configuration. The cut. Yeah. And they're all kind of tan because that was really in in the 70s. So they're all kind of tan and lined in the face mm-hmm. from sun exposure. <laughs> that I'm like, I can't tell if you're 20 years old or 50 years old. Right. <laughs> I don't know who you are. Even Nancy with the colors, you can't really tell that her hair is red, even though we know it is. It just kind of. Yeah, it's not like a sandy. Yeah, but yeah, you you wouldn't automatically go, that girl has red hair. I will say, she looks so much like a Nancy that I would imagine. She looks so much like I would imagine Nancy Drew to look. She's perfect. It's perfect. Mm -hmm. Her rendition is perfect, truly. I cannot, I cannot give better praise for the TV show than it felt like I was watching Nancy. Yeah, Mm. same. Oh, it was so good. Oh, I was going to say, too, in regards to her fashion, was she wearing, like, a cloak at one point? I think or so, like, yeah. Oh, so good. The outfits are just impeccable. Amazing. I love it. 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 Mm-hmm. Wait until you get later in the season and you'll get to see the Drew home from the inside. We saw a little bit of the Drew home. Yeah, we saw a little bit, but just see Carson's office and Nancy's bedroom and yeah we see more of the Drew home later the River Heights town what I guess is like their town square or something so cute right so cute so yeah. amazing I love yeah no the setting is great the set design seems really good to me the costume design mwah, like I said before really chef's kiss I love it I love every part of it except for George Ned skeezy man <laughs> as per usual. As per usual, just my usual critiques of the series. Yeah. <laughs> Even Nancy's Blue Roadster was just perfect. I don't know if they were. Oh, I didn't notice that, that was in this episode, or maybe I'm misremembering. If it was, I didn't episode. notice. Did not notice. But if I didn't say before, I watched several episodes of the season <laughs> before we were recording this. So some of the details might be blending in a little bit into the wrong episode. But she does have a Blue Roadster later, and it's, it's great. Mm. Oh, so excited. Okay. Flashlight scores? Oh, five. Five flashlights. Five out of five flashlights. I love this one. A hundred percent. It's so good. So good. It's so good. Go watch it immediately. Stop Mm. what you're doing. Make this your next TV show because it's so good. If you like Nancy Drew at all, you'll like this TV show. It's just a... just in general, just a good TV show. I mean, sometimes it's kind of silly, right? Like what it is exactly that they're doing. And of course, you're watching a TV show from the 70s. So there is that 70s goofiness factor. But that right. adds to the charm. It doesn't take away from the charm, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, I, and it's like a, it's like actually good. Like it has a mystery that you don't see coming. That you are sitting there as the viewer watching and being like, I don't know what's about to happen. That is such, that is so good. So good. Yeah. And only being 45 minutes as well, I still think that they do a really good job. Even though you only see like one or two potential yeah. suspects, they still somehow craft a whole universe and whole story around mm-hmm. that 45-minute mystery. It's really good. Well done. Well written. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact that I forgot to mention at the start here, the network canceled it after the third season because they thought that they could somehow do better i guess they had other shows on at the time that were getting really high ratings and even though the show did get high ratings it wasn't as much as the other one or the other shows that were really popular i don't remember specifically what those Mm -hmm. shows were because i'm not familiar with them but then they canceled it and immediately regretted it because all the rest of their ratings went way down and they couldn't ever find something that was as good to replace it 
that was apparently the network said one of their biggest regrets at the time <gasps> was not keeping Nancy Drew the Hardy Boys on the air. I will say that it does seem like a lot of not necessarily the movies, but like the television shows that all the Nancy Drew iterations seem kind of cursed. Yeah. I don't know what that's about, but they seem kind of doomed to fail. Obviously, the CW show is kind of going strong, and I imagine that's yeah. still going to go strong. But well, they, it, the network just got bought out, so who knows what that means mm, for the future of the whole network, but whatever. But I mean, that's I can't even – I know I've talked about this a little bit before, but I like can't even really qualify that as being a Nancy Drew <laughs> show. It's not. Because it's so much – it's so not. Right. If you want to watch it and you like it, that's great. That's fine. I'm happy for yeah. you. But you can't go into it expecting it to be Nancy right. Drew because it's just so far removed from what, what the originals are. Yeah. But so, like, you got this one. There was a um, shortly lived TV show in the 90s with Tracy mm-hmm. Ryan. I feel yeah. like I've seen a couple episodes of that. But I also felt like that was not super close to what I would picture Nancy Drew as being. Yeah. And also, I think that was really short lived as well. Um, that was only two seasons, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And then before we got the Nancy Drew CW show, there was like some talk of them um, making another Nancy Drew show about Nancy Bancop in New York. I think we've talked about this before, just you and me. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, but right. that never fully made it to production. I mean, think, well, I think they went so far as casting it, but like, yeah. never, yeah, they never, you know, made it any farther. I think there's a few instances of that where they try yeah. to get something running and it just never happens. And I know that that happens. That's that's not an uncommon happenstance in just television production in general. But it does right. seem like it happens a lot for Nancy Drew. And still, to this day, I cannot. I just don't understand why no one has made a period Nancy Drew television show. Oh, that would be so good. It would be so good. So much of what Nancy Drew is, and I feel like so much of what the cultural identity around Nancy Drew is, is rooted in her being a product of her time, is being Mm -hmm. of the 50s, usually, because I think today that's the version of Nancy Drew that we're all most familiar with. Yeah, 30s, 40s, 50s is really a sweet spot, I think. She's so so rooted in those values, in like that setting, that just taking her out of that context, you have to change Nancy Drew, and then she doesn't really look very much like Nancy Drew anymore. And so like, I understand why, and I understand like the appeal of having a modern Nancy Drew and wanting to know what Nancy would look like now. But I just think, why would we do that before we see what Nancy Drew was in the fifties, you know? Right. And I just, I just want it so bad. <laughs> if there are any, anybody knows of any period Nancy Drew shows that are in production, I'm available for any um, employment opportunities. I would consult. Um, Consulting. I'd, yes. I'd do, I would do anything. So, you know, just throwing that out there. <laughs> yes. You do have acting experience as well. I think oh, you'd make God. a great best if you wanted to <gasps> get back into that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. No, but no, no, no. I, I, mm-hmm. any, I, would do, I would literally do anything. I would cut open my veins and bleed for a period <laughs> Nancy Drew TV show. So just, <sighs> just know but I'm available. <laughs> even a movie. I'd take a movie, I'd too. I'd do anything. Mm-hmm. I'd do anything. <laughs> Oh, I will say as well that this is the first adaptation since 
the 30s Benita Granville movie. So I'm really mm. surprised that there was nothing between mm-hmm. the mid 30s to the late 70s. Maybe, I mean, maybe there was but an attempt at a show to kind of make that adaptation, but there was nothing there. But then yeah. it was so successful and they canceled it. And ever since then, there's been nothing quite like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we've had a handful of movies, a couple of TV shows since then, but nothing this good. Yeah. Something we were going to talk about that I realized that we didn't. Oh, yeah. Is the differences between this and the current CW TV. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So, yeah, I just think, like, obviously the biggest difference <laughs> and the glaring difference that kind of makes the CW TV show not even an Nancy Drew show is the supernatural element. And right. that is what these first two episodes of both, you know, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew just absolutely crushed immediately. Because mm-hmm. it is supernatural. You were supposed to expect ghosts right. in both of these episodes. Haunted house, haunted lighthouse. But then immediately what we see when we, we are are given our first very first experience of some kind of ghostly haunting is Nancy Drew pushing a button down on a tape deck and being like, you tried to trick us. Which is how it's going to go. Yeah. A ghost appears and tells her where to find the clues. Yeah. That's not Nancy Drew. That is not That's Nancy just a Drew. ghost appearing and telling you where the clues are. Exactly. No, it's my biggest pet peeve. And honestly, this is kind of very side note but that's the reason why i hated the later scooby-doo stuff and the scooby-doo movies is because the whole point of scooby-doo is that the villain is a man in a mask is that the villain is someone pretending to be this evil or this you know scary person or scary thing or whatever when actually it's a human being and at the end of the episode they unmask them instead what happens in like the live action Scooby-Doo movies and some of the later animated movies too is no ghosts are real and magic is real. And, you know, we are living in this world where spooky things are real and that's just not what it's supposed to be. That's not, that's not the message of it. The message is that there are evil, bad people in the world and we can stop them. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and it, there's nothing wrong with a supernatural show no, if you no, like no, no. that. I like it's those, but don't put the name Nancy Drew on there. It's it people to think that it's the books. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Anyway, but yeah, go go watch them because they're too good not to if you haven't seen them already. Please, you're doing yourself a disservice if you do not. Pamela Sue Martin, if you want to come on the show and talk to us, oh please, Please tell us how you captured Nancy Drew so perfectly. It's amazing, an amazing performance. I do have to give the CW show credit mm-hmm. for bringing her back as a little cameo. She's only in the one episode for a few minutes, but I just I just love yeah. the idea of that, just bringing back Nancy Drew to be a Nancy Drew. It's just mm-hmm. so perfect. I love it's a it, nice so. little nod. It's, a, it's an, an appropriate level of respect for the name. <laughs> I will give the CW show that credit as well. They do a lot of really good Easter eggs and nods towards the original show. Even if they take it and then run in a completely different direction with it, (laughs) it's still there. You know, we're in a library and we see in the background some guy carrying a stack of books with yellow spines. You know, just small little things like that that remind you of the originals. But it's just the briefest moment reminds you of the original. (laughs) (laughs) Not the whole thing. Ugh. Okay. So, Corey... Do you want to talk about what we're going to cover next? I absolutely do. I'm so excited for our next little segment, you could call them, of Mm -hmm. the next few Mm -hmm. episodes that we're going to do. We do have to say thank you to Patrick 
from Patreon who um, voted for this episode. And I'll just remind you all that if you would like to vote on future upcoming episode topics to please go over to our Patreon and pledge at the $5 gifted gumshoe level to be able to do that. $3? $3. Oh, oops. $3 <laughs> gumshoe level to vote on that because I think when you hear what our next episode is going to be, you're going to want to do that. Yes. And thank you so much, Patrick, because you picked the one that I was hoping you would pick <laughs> anyway. Uh, we are going to be moving on to the Nancy Drew PC games by her yeah. active. And the first one we're going to be covering for episode number 26 is Last Train to Blue Moon Canyon, game number 13 <gasps> in the series. A personal favorite of mine mm-hmm. that I absolutely adore. It also has the Hardy Boys in it. Mm-hmm. I love it so it's, much. It is a great one. So, so excited to get to replay it. Lance has already said that he wants to play it with me. Oh, yay. Okay, that's a good So I'm very excited about that because then I'll be able to present kind of an outsider's opinion of it. He has played other Nancy Drew games with me before, so he's not a total newbie. But but he sees a lot of the things that I don't, so. I hope he loves this one. Yeah. So join us next time. Thanks for listening. Thank you, regular Drews. We will see you then. Thank you for listening to Regular Nancy Drew. Email us at regularnancydrew at gmail.com. If you like this episode, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram at regularnancydrew and Twitter at regularnd. You can also support us on Patreon. Patrons at the $3 level vote on upcoming episode topics, and all patrons receive early access to each episode as well as weekly bonus content. And to all you regular Drews out there, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.